Hey, Real Talkers, it's a recurring conversation in Canada, if not around the world. Is Canadian oil more ethical than oil from elsewhere? Is activity in Alberta's oil sands clean enough? And does any of this actually matter on the international stage? A couple of episodes ago, David Knight Legg argued the world needs more Alberta for three main reasons. In this episode, our guests fact check those three points, plus an email maybe the most powerful we've ever received relating to the driver that caused that humble crash. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. The world needs more Alberta. That's what we took... From Monday's episode of Real Talk with David Knight Legg, if you caught it, you know that the former principal advisor to Premier Jason Kenney, the former CEO of Invest Alberta, joined us to talk about Alberta's natural gas reserves, to talk about Alberta's role in global energy security, the the, the role that, or the leadership maybe, that Alberta has shown in, in some emissions reduction, but also how Canada laid an egg at COP28, the UN Climate Change Convention. Now, not everybody agreed with David Knightleg's take. And today, because Real Talk is all about different ideas, challenging one another, bringing all the facts and opinions to the table and sorting it out, we're going to get to two of those voices. One of them, I think, vehemently opposed. The other... I think maybe seeking some common ground, we'll see. Markham Hislop will lead us off in just a second, then Dr. Andrew Leach. Plus, we're going to get into the poll results, how you, real talkers, feel about the driver that caused that Humboldt Broncos crash being deported. 3,000 of you voted in our unofficial, unscientific Twitter poll. A couple of you wrote emails in, including a remarkable one, uh, maybe the most remarkable email I've ever received in my talk show career. From Brandon, we're going to get to that before this show is out. First, I wanted to put this on your radar, though. You may have been paying attention to stories over the past year or so around credential fraud. It's on the rise in Canada. Could be nurses, could be oil patch workers, even personal support workers. There's been no shortage of stories where a fake credential put members of the public at risk. Luckily, there's an innovative technology that's going to make credential fraud a thing of the past. It's called digital verifiable credentials. They're secure, cloud-based. They go far beyond traditional certificates, digital badges, or PDFs. And number one, you can't forge, falsify, or alter them. Verifiable credentials are tamper-proof, independently verifiable. They use open web standards. They're trusted. They're in real time, living in a digital wallet. They can be viewed, managed, and shared from anywhere. With We Know Training, uh, digital verifiable credentials can plug seamlessly into your training courses. If you want to learn more about using verifiable credentials in your training or credentialing program, just visit verifiablecredentials.ca Markham Hislop coming up in 30 seconds. First, uh, before we get to the publisher of Energy Media, we'll set the table with with a snippet, a highlight. Here's a portion of what David Knightleg talked to us about. Alberta on the global stage. This was from Monday's episode. We have now got the cleanest barrels of oil, uh, cleaner than California, because the number one decarbonization effort in the planet in oil production took place in Canada over the last 20 years because we had the task of trying to draw our energy out of this viscous oil sands. 
And as a result, we've innovated and entrepreneurs have funded the innovations that have reduced our barrels by 40%. So if you don't like our oil, then you definitely have to cancel California oil because it's more carbon intensive. When Markham Hislop heard that interview, the publisher of Energy Media wrote into this show and said, when I heard that Alberta has the cleanest barrels of oil line, I rolled my eyes so hard, I thought I pulled my eye. Nobody wants to see an injury like that as we welcome Markham Hislop back to the show. Thanks for making time for us, my man. I know this will be a brief appearance. You have an interview coming up yourself in just a few minutes, but thanks for making time. Well, thank you very much for having me, Ryan. And ironically, it's a it's an interview with an oil economist talking about this very thing. So anybody who wants to listen to that, that interview can Google our Energy Talks podcast, and and it'll be up later this morning. Okay, good stuff. So so this is a this is a, a debate uh, not as old as time, but certainly over the past thirty years, some have argued that Canada ha- produces the most ethical oil. Uh, many people have argued that Canada is working among the hardest uh, when it comes to nations that are dropping emissions down. Uh, what was it about my conversation with David Knightleg that particularly irked you? Well, I want to do two things this morning, uh, Ryan. Uh, one of them is to explain what David Knightleg was up to. I mean, the, this is this not random that he showed up on your show. Uh, and secondly, I want to debunk some of, at a very high level, Professor Andrew Leach will do a much better job get, diving into the data than I will. But at a very high level, I'd like to debunk some of what he says. So you first thing that your, your, uh, your viewers need to know is that there is a huge debate going on in the energy world about the pace of the global energy transition. So there's two schools. One is uh, the International Energy Agency, which says that it'll be a fast transition. We'll see oil, gas, and coal uh, demand peak before 2030. We'll see uh, uh, a plateau in maybe the early 2030s, followed by decline. So the IEA view of the transition is an existential threat to the Alberta oil and gas industry. Now, that's countered by OPEC and Saudi Arabia. They argue that it'll be a slow energy transition. And so you saw at the World Petroleum Congress, which was held in Calgary in September, the Saudis were abs- they were all over this. And, and Premier Danielle Smith uh, is in that camp. And they say that, in fact, oil demand is going to increase from the 102, 103 million barrels a day uh, that we currently have to 116 million barrels a day by 2045. The plateau will be very slow, very long, and then we'll see only a gradual decline. So from that point of view, this is actually a growth opportunity for Alberta. And that, and essentially, the uh, and this, and I want to mention something quickly about the IEA model. The Canadian Energy Regulator has modeled uh, what happens if the oil industry, particularly the oil sands, has to pay for its own decarbonization, and then the oil sands become uncompetitive. And in the 2030s, we actually see a decline in production. This is why Smith and the industry are so adamant about opposing federal climate policy. There are real costs attached to this that are tied to Alberta's competitiveness. So what David Lake's uh, Knight was doing was essentially acting as a proxy for the slow energy transition narrative that Smith and the industry and others are trying to convince Canada is the is the likely future for Alberta oil and gas. 
You took specific issue with him comparing Alberta oil to California. Take us into that. Well, I mean, you saw the the, the uh, graph that uh, Professor Leach uh, posted to uh, to your thread yesterday. Well, you know, I used to work in the Cal back in, in another life when I spent a few years in the oil industry. I worked out of California for three years. I've been to many of those fields that uh, that Nightleg was kind of referring to. So what he says is that the Alberta oil sands reduced emissions intensity by 40%. Well, that's not true. I checked with uh, uh, S&P Global, Kevin Byrne, who's an expert on this, and their data going back to 2009 is they've only reduced it 21%. But here's the thing. Uh, what the, the California Air Resources Board provides a list of the emissions intensity of all the crude oil that's refined in Alberta, or sorry, in California. And there are a couple of maybe three, four very small fields like Chico Martinez that has like 7,000 barrels a year that have a very, very emissions intense oil. And the, then the rest of them are either equal to, or maybe most of them are much lower in emissions intensity than Alberta oil. So if you cherry pick the data and you just pick those, you know, three or four little fields that have, that have high emissions intensity, he's right, but over, really he's wrong. That is this just not the case. What about the uh, I mean, he, he made and people should go back. I mean, you know, every interview, every episode essentially will we'll release like the one minute that really grabbed the audience or that one minute where we thought the guest really hit the argument on the head. And, and Nightleg says, basically, here's three fun facts about Alberta. And then he lays them out. One of them, he talks about how Alberta's oil is the cleanest. Another one, he talks about how Alberta has the largest reserves. He says more, more than the U.S., more than Russia. He talks about how Alberta is essentially the Americans' energy future. Do you agree or do you disagree? I, I disagree. And I'll, I'll tell you, what he said was, is we're bigger than you think, we're cleaner than you think, and we're part of the strategic reserve for the, for the USA and Europe and, and other countries. Well, the U.S. is the world's biggest oil producer. It, it produces just over 13 million barrels a day. Alberta produces around 4 million barrels a day. Most of that is oil sands about, at about 3 to 3.4 million barrels a day. And the problem is that our reserves, Alberta's oil sands reserves, are 170 billion barrels. The Americans' reserve is 44.4 billion barrels. That's a lot of decades where the Americans don't need Alberta oil. They're, so this idea that somehow Alberta is the backstop for the U.S. when they start running out of oil, it's just it's ridiculous. And if you take the point of view of the International Energy Agency, uh, you know, once oil begins, oil demand begins to decline. And I should point out the USA, their gasoline dem demand peaked in, tw in 2007. And their total oil consumption now is 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 two million barrels a day lower than it was then. So there, the uh, expected demand for oil in the U.S. is projected to decline over time. Why would they need? Why would Alberta act as a strategic reserve for a declining market? Is that is it as simple as as the proliferation of EVs or or maybe like Gen Z and millennials not owning as many vehicles or what is it? What do you think that is? 
in the short term, this and this is very clear, Bloomberg NEF has done a lot of modeling on this. And uh, Colin McCarricker is the head of their uh, transportation division. And I've interviewed him a number of times. Good Canadian boy from uh, BC, by the way. But he, the electrification of road transportation in the, in the next, say, 20 years is what's going to drive down demand, global demand for oil. And particularly in, you know, it's, it's not just the uh, electric cars and trucks. It's electric medium uh, vehicle, medium duty vehicles like delivery vans. Uh, pretty soon we're going to see the electrification of class eight semi trucks uh, for short hauls. Uh, this is all in coming. And, you know, we look at Canada, our uh, electric vehicles were 10.5% of our auto sales in the last quarter. In China, it was 38%. In the US, it was 10%, but in, in Europe, it's uh, it's like 26%. The world outside of Alberta is electrifying its transportation, and the forecast for adoption of that is just on a big exponential curve. It's on a hockey stick curve. That's what's behind the uh, impending uh, peak and then decline of demand for oil. Markham, and I know you got to go to an interview. I'll make this my last question. So for people that may be hearing from you, maybe introduced to you for the very first time on this episode of Real Talk, they're going to go, what's this guy's deal? This guy just trying to take a big dump on Alberta? This guy, this guy trying to steer international investment away from Alberta? This guy trying to actively unemploy thousands of Albertans? Why do you do what you do? I do what I do because I think the, the evidence supports the IEA's uh, uh, fast transition argument. And so what I'd like to do, what I'd like to see is Alberta recognize that fact and put in place a plan to deal with it. I mean, the what David Knight Lake didn't tell you is that the oil sands, the bitumen, is actually a, an amazing building block for advanced materials manufacturing. This is the opportunity for Alberta is to transition from producing bitumen for feedstock for refineries to turn into fuels to, to producing feedstock to make carbon fiber, to make advanced carbon, to make asphalt binder that, that goes into road construction. And if Alberta started now, started planning for that, it as international uh, markets for, for oil decline, perhaps we could build domestic demand for that oil so that we wouldn't be affected by, by the fast energy transition. And frankly, if you make a material out of bitumen, you get four or five times as much value, uh, according to the Alberta Innovates, which is uh, the province's innovation agency, which has done the modeling on this. So Alberta is actually, by sticking to the status quo, Alberta is setting itself up for a huge fall. And then on top, and, and remember, Ryan, uh, you had me, the last time you had me on, we talked about the $300 billion of, of oil and gas's environmental liabilities that has no security attached to it, right? So if, if, the, uh, if oil demand goes down and the Alberta economy begins to contract, not only uh, will a lot of jobs be lost, but on top of that, somebody has to pay for all of those orphan wells and the tailings ponds and all of those unfunded liabilities. This is a crisis that we can see coming. And... I would like Alberta to avoid that. I don't, I'm not here to shoot the Alberta oil and gas industry in the foot. I want to help them go to the next level so that it has a life beyond the 21st century. But if we stick with the status quo 
and the IEA is right, and I think it is, Alberta is in big trouble further down this decade, probably in the early part of the next decade. Um, I, I've got an audience member right now who wants, who's trying to pin you to the floor with your own words. Do you have time to rebut one argument, Markham? You have time for one yeah, sure. from David? Uh, David says America, they can't refine their own oil. They're the biggest producer of light oil, which their refineries can't refine. He says this guy, Markham, is clueless. Americans rely on Alberta oil because all their refineries refine heavy oil. And then he goes, actually, Markham isn't clueless. I know because I've watched his podcast and he's talked about this before. Now he's completely pretending like he forgets that he talked about the Americans not being able to refine their own oil like a year ago. What would you say to David, who's also a listener of yours? Yeah, no, there's a there's a rebuttal to that. And the right uh, we produce uh, ultra heavy uh, crude oil. And in there's 10 million barrels a day of refining capacity globally. 5.5 million barrels of that capacity is in the United States. And some of it's owned by Canadian companies like Suncor. So that's where the, the Alberta uh, uh, heavy crude oil goes. And the problem here is that, and it gets back to what I said about the Canadian energy regulators model. And this is new. This is I I this is only came out in the uh, in the spring, and so uh, that new modeling that shows that the uh, decarbonization costs that come with climate policy will make Alberta bitumen uneconomic uncompetitive. That's a new thing. That that changes everything. So as the American demand for oil begins to decline, and the and uh, Alberta's costs may stay the same may increase because of climate policy that's the danger All and right. so he's right i have argued in the past that alberta could very easily maintain those heavy crude uh, crude oil markets but now that we have we have better modeling that shows that might not be the case probably won't be the case you can read uh, Markham's work at energy.media. That's energy with an I. We'll, of course, uh, link to it in our show notes. I haven't read your most recent column, Markham. You just pushed it out. Time for Talk Show Smith to do more than complain. Markham Hislop, a good friend of this show. Uh, a very Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to you, pal. We'll talk to you again in 2024. And the same to you, buddy. Merry Thanks. Christmas. You got it. You can follow Markham on Twitter at Political Ham. Uh, yeah, there we you go. need a Hislop Nightleg versus on the show in uh, 2024 for sure. I like that. Yeah. Because... Well, hey, so we had so David Nightleg and, and our next guest, Andrew Leach, were going back and forth on Twitter following the interview. This is like the best case scenario, right? Because we've got people. Nobody's going to accuse David or Markham or Andrew of being an idiot. Uh, all three of them are smart as hell. Uh, they may disagree on some things. Uh, they may use or apply different statistics in different ways. Boy, do I ever sound like a politician talking like that. But I'm curious to see where Andrew's going to go on this in just a quick second. We also have an email from Ray that wrote in from beautiful Vulcan County uh, after our talk with DKL on Monday. And, and so we're going to get to that. But first, I want to let you know that this conversation, this show, is happening with the support of effing seafoods yeah you heard me effing seafoods that's e-f-f-i-n-g seafoods.com and they've got a promo code for you heading into the holiday season you're gonna have your ham or your turkey you're gonna have your pierogies 
Uh, you're going to have your Christmas favorites on the table. Uh, but if you really want to wow your friends and family, you really want to make an impression on your loved ones, you want to raise your hosting to the next level, how about putting some oysters on the table or lobster or caviar? They've got many different options. You can shop online or in their beautiful St. Albert location. But get this, the promo code JESPO15, that's all one word, JESPO15, is going to knock 15% off all effing fresh and effing frozen products. Now, highlights for the holidays are the effing ultimate bakes for two and four. You can find those online. Do not delay. Looks like they're closing down their orders on the 21st. So you basically got one day to make it happen. Visit effingseafoods.com. Use that promo code JESPO15. If you're looking for a really super cool gift to give somebody this holiday season, somebody that maybe has everything except for a backyard space that they absolutely adore. If this person happens to be your soulmate, your life partner, your spouse, the one that you love, why not gift them a consultation with Eden Landscaping? How cool would that be? Both of you get out your Pinterest boards, you you take out the pages you've ripped out of the landscaping magazines, you sit down in January or February with Mike and his team, and that's where the design process starts. Next thing you know, by May, June, July, when you're in prime backyard hosting season you've got that water feature you're using that outdoor kitchen Johnny you could be pulling pizzas out of your outdoor forno oven by July <laughs> I don't think you so. get in touch but, with Eden okay. landscaping today at <laughs> landscapeedmonton.ca are you one of those outdoor pizza oven guys it's like the hot new trend right now is it oh man that's all I see on Instagram people pulling pizzas out of their brand new ovens I'm a eat a slice on the street kind of guy there you go hey that works <laughs> Maybe from someone who has their own oven built by Eden Landscaping. Landscapeaventon.ca is where you'll find them. And if 2024 for you is going to mark a new opportunity, you're looking at a new career, you want to maybe learn more about a, a field that has intrigued you, could be AI, could be human resources, it could be some form of medical research. I mean, there's hundreds of different options. That's why thousands of Canadians trust their post-secondary journey to Athabasca University. Canada's Open University offers uh, world-class accredited online degrees. Their courses are designed so you can complete your education wherever and whenever it works for you. You're going to go to Costa Rica for a month. You're not going to fall behind. Your parents need you to help them out. They're in hospital or maybe you're helping them transition into a home. You're not going to fall behind. You can also work ahead and get this. More than 94% of AU alumni say they're satisfied with the quality of their education. You can get the application process started today. Learn more at AthabascaU.ca. Shout out to David Penner with the big $10 super chat. Thank oh, you, David. right yeah. on, David. Thank you very much. We appreciate that. That'll go into the uh, what should holiday, we put that the into? holidays, the holiday cheer bag. fund, <laughs> the holiday cheer funds. David, we sure appreciate that. And our everybody next, who hooks us up on the super chat, you can do that on YouTube. Our next guest was having a chuckle when you started with the F and seafood. There's actually a whole story behind the name of effing seafoods, which I won't get into, but there's like an Effingham inlet. Uh, oh. Oh, okay. On the island where Rob, who owns 
the seafood company, he grew up and he worked on a fishing boat with his dad for many, many years. And so, so that's, it's not an expletive. It, it's it's not like <laughs> fucking seafoods. That's not that's not what he's getting at. But it's okay. but I think it is certainly a play on words. But sure. but man, he's he's done an amazing job. And his oysters are the best in the country. He fly, you know he told me he flies in seafood five times a week. Wow, man, that's pretty wild, hey. Yeah. So Ray writes in from Vulcan County to talk at RyanJesperson.com. Says Jespo, I hear from David Knightleg on your show that Alberta only emits uh, a percent and a half of global greenhouse gas emissions. So the responsibility essentially goes to China to clean up. I mean, he didn't exactly say that, but Ray, I'll take your point. Ray says it is true, but it's certainly a lazy argument to duck out of our commitments by suggesting China do its part and buy Alberta natural gas instead of burning coal. Enough of this pipe dream, I see what you did there, Ray, to keep our oil and gas going until the last drop. He says China emits like 25-30% of, of global emissions, but, but China could also say that it has a very small part of emissions and do nothing, but they are not doing that. In fact, China's on track to peak emissions before 2030 and to be carbon neutral by 2050. China leads the world in renewable energy manufacturing and deployment by far. This will position China as the powerhouse well into the future while Alberta sits back and hopes somehow that someone will invest in a short-term LNG, liquid natural gas project, just to keep Alberta's wealth flowing. That from Ray. See what Dr. Andrew Leach thinks about that, professor of economics and law at the University of Alberta. It's nice to see your face, man. Thanks for making time for us. Wow. Yeah. What do, you, what do you think of Ray's take there on China? Yeah. But what about China? What if, uh, you know, nothing we do matters because China's, you know, one sixth of the world's population or what have you. And and to some degree, that's true, right? What China does is going to drive not just emissions reductions, it's going to drive renewable energy, it's going to drive electric vehicle penetration, all of these sorts of things. So for for anything on that scale, we are kind of a, a taker, but I don't think that absolves us of our responsibility to be part of the global solution. And it, it doesn't also, you know, take away the the gains that we have from being, you know, part of it versus having that those global actions kind of imposed on us, which is more what I worry about in in Canada is who's going to impose what upon us as opposed to us taking actions ourselves congratulations on your new book between uh what is it between doom and denial i love this title uh facing facts about climate change this is kind of where i think most people land between doom and denial we've talked about this a lot charles adler just a while ago about a week and a half ago on the show said that he thinks that climate alarmism is taking away from the impact of these discussions i'd like to get into it with you but first uh, we're fact checking the interview with david Knightleg, and i saw your 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 very professional and gracious uh, interaction by the way congratulations on twitter doesn't happen all the time uh david says to you i'm interested to discuss any time back in calgary in january if you'd like to get on a call you say sounds good uh says andrew leach our guest i think david we likely agree on more than we disagree uh, regarding alberta i just get very pedantic about data claims um you commit to making uh, a phone call with him and he says the key point is that the, the states needs alberta energy for energy security and needs to get over the misconceptions including old views of carbon intensity which is changing rapidly let's get into it the critiques i would have number one you know he says well we're now the cleanest barrel in the world which just simply isn't true we're a cleaner barrel than we used to be uh but those types of those big strides that that he's talking about 
those really aren't driving our emissions down to be comparable, even with, you know, the average barrel in the U.S. or some of the newer barrels coming online in the U.S. or offshore barrels or, or what have you. We're still, you know, substantially above on a pr production emissions per barrel basis. And so I shared yesterday uh, some data from California that, that provides a really nice example because they track every barrel that comes into the California market. Say, how emissions intensive is it? And if you look at the average Canadian barrel into California, it's like 18 grams per megajoule. The U.S. Bakken barrel is about half that. And, you know, even light oil from Alberta, for example, is, is, is lower emissions even than that. And so, you know, we're not even the average barrel into the California market, which is a pretty uh, carbon intensive market uh, among North American crude. So, you know, I, I just don't think it's that helpful to be out there saying things that are, you know, we're, we're sort of exaggerating, we're stretching our, our impact, and we turn a good news story, which is, you know, substantial improvements on emissions intensity per barrel uh, over the last 30 years into one that that puts people at odds, because now you're out there arguing, well, you know, you can't quite say that it's, uh, it, it's the cleanest barrel in the world, we're not even close to that. And so I would prefer people weren't quite stretching that far. What is the cleanest? Who's producing the cleanest barrel? Can you say definitively or are there like a million factors? I mean, you know, offshore offshore Eastern Canada is actually decently good, but the, some of the new offshore Norwegian barrels are probably the ones that get the closest to that where you have low emissions, you've got electric drive that's coming from um, in some cases, even coming on from uh, hydro facilities, you've got the potential for carbon capture and storage. So I think they're probably talking about some of their newest barrels being among the lowest emissions in the world. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the real tell is, do you have to burn hydrocarbons to get your hydrocarbons out of the ground? And almost and any barrel that's coming out of the oil sands or almost every barrel that's coming out of the oil sands you're burning fossil fuels to create heat to extract the oil. And that's true in the California barrels that uh, David Knight Legg mentioned as well. And that's why they're more emissions intensive. Uh, if you have to, you know, you could next step, if I need to put, um, use fossil fuels, use diesel, use natural gas, what have you, to put pressure into the well to, to frack it, that's going to create some emissions. I need water. I need to truck that water on the site. That creates some emissions. The further down the spectrum you go, where you're producing under just pure reservoir pressure, all I need to do is drill a well. That's just going to have fewer direct emissions associated with the process. And then if I'm capturing, treating, um, et cetera, the natural gas that comes along with that oil, then I can get the emissions uh, down really, really low. Mm. And Alberta just doesn't have, you know, our oil happens to be, as David said, it's a viscous oil. It needs to be separated from sand and clay and water, et cetera. So the production process is just going to be more energy intensive. And the cheapest form of energy for that right now is, is burning fossil fuels. Uh, I've got a note here from Cam, who's listening to us uh, live streaming the audio on the Mixler audio app, which is presented by California Closets. I'm not asking you, Andrew, to answer for what Markham had to say, but I didn't see this when Markham was on the show. But it's a fair question and an entertaining one at that. He says, does Markham think that $100 billion oil sands companies are complete morons? Uh, are these oil sands companies fooling themselves? I mean, they're dumping bucket loads of cash into dropping those emissions. I mean, we've talked on this show many times about the Pathways Alliance Initiative. Everybody's talking about carbon capture. All of these things are happening, and, and, and it's hard to even wrap your mind around the investment. This is the key thing with Pathways. They're doing feasibility studies. They're doing some front-end engineering and design. They're talking about a $75 billion 
uh, huge carbon capture and storage outlay, but none of that is through final investment decision yet. And so, you know, I think that I think they're absolutely right to realize that emissions are existential. And I think that's, you know, su some super important context to say the oil and gas companies in Canada know that reducing emissions is going to become or is existential to the future of the industry, reducing production side emissions, regardless of, you know, other factors, regardless of how big China's emissions are, they know that and they're voting with at least their, you know, prospective wallets. Let's see when if we actually get that to the finish line and see some big projects with final investment decisions, with actual checks being written, as opposed to just you know paying for ads on on Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, we've got uh, Tony who says, "What's worked for us in the past will not work for us ten years down the road. The world is changing, and we either change with it or we're stuck in the past." Andrew, how about this? This is a remarkable comment. Uh, I'm glad I get to deliver this one to you. Former Calgary councillor, he was a candidate for mayor down in Calgary. Jeremy Farkas is watching right now in our live chat on YouTube. He says, kudos to Andrew. I really appreciate his even-keeled commentary. As a conservative, he's been central to me coming around to accepting action on climate as a positive and not contrary to economic activity. That's a pretty significant compliment, especially considering the source. Um, you know, one of the things as, as he talks about, and I talk about this in the book, it's a really niche little example, but, you know, the Trans Mountain Pipeline, they went in front of the national or the Canada Energy Regulator, the former National Energy Board, and they argued for something really weird. They said, we don't, we want to uh, not disclose to Canadians who is insuring this pipeline. And the reason they put out there for that was if we have to disclose this publicly, we will not be able to insure this project. And so think about what that means, right? That's the state, that's the reality that this industry is seeing about the reputation and the challenges of producing carbon intensive oil and shipping it and pipelines right now is no one will insure you if they have to sign their name to it. I mean, you're, you're in a business that is all about raising brand awareness, et cetera. And these are brands saying exactly the opposite. We do not want any mention of our insurance or reinsurance company tied to your project. If we can agree on that, then we'll insure you. And when the industry's gotten to that point, I think those are the types of things that, that Jeremy's rightly flagging to say, you know, this is going to get in the way of our ability to do business and the costs of, you know, put Keystone XL up there if you want, the costs of the big actions that sort of push back against the emissions intensity of Alberta uh, oil sands are going to cost a lot more than the actions to reduce emissions and to price carbon, et cetera, here at home. I'm wondering if this is true. Craig CC in our chat says the problem with using data is that different jurisdictions have different regulations specifically on measuring emissions. Is that true? It's definitely true. Um, but even when you look at, you know, put apples to apples. So California this is why I like California data, because they have disclosure rules for what's coming in to their um, to, to their market. And you see it even between barrels in Alberta. So when we talk about having the cleanest barrel of oil in the world, right, I just talked about the, the ones that, that I looked at. So an Alberta mixed sweet barrel, eight grams per megajoule, it's, you know, 20%, 30% below the California average. But Syncrude Synthetic, Suncor Synthetic is like three to four times that much. So we don't even have to look around the world for evidence that we're not producing 
you know, some of our barrels are not the cleanest barrels in the world. We have barrels in Alberta that are like 4X some other barrels in Alberta. And so, you know, yeah, there's there's a question of where exactly do we sit on the global ranking? But we also know fundamentally that most oil produced in the world isn't produced by burning natural gas to create steam to extract bitumen trapped in sort of a sand clay ma water matrix, right? That's just what makes oil sands hard and why we needed to have billions of dollars of capital investment to build the facilities to get it out. It's because it's you know using a whole lot more energy, which just translates directly to greenhouse gas emissions. Are there worse barrels? Are there barrels that could be decarbonized much more cheaply than the Alberta oil sands? 100%, no question. But there are also a lot of lower emissions barrels just because of the nature of the resources. Was there anything that, uh, that David Knightleg argued on Monday's show that resonated with you as, as a particularly good point? I mean, you acknowledged you don't disagree with him on everything. What do you agree on? Yeah, well, I think that the the state, the scope of the resource or the scale of the resource, when you think about how Canada is positioned and the size of not just the oil sands and, and oil resource, the size of the gas resource in a world that is using, you know, 100 million barrels a day of oil and some significant amounts of natural gas. The fact that we have those resources positions us incredibly well relative to most places on Earth. And I do think he's also correct that, you know, and I, I had this yesterday on a talk, uh, talk that I gave about my book to say, you know, there aren't countries in the world that are having or many countries in the world that are having the types of conversations that people are asking of Canada, right? The, the leave it in the ground types of conversations are incredibly challenging. And it's easy to look in from the outside and say, well, you know, if we had those oil and gas resources, we just wouldn't develop them. But that's fundamentally not what countries and the decisions the countries in the world are making right now. So we are asking of Canadians uh, some very difficult decisions in terms of restricting carbon emissions, in terms of putting dollars on the table to reduce those production side emissions. Uh, but it's Canadians who are asking that of us, right? It's it's we've had three straight elections on uh, carbon pricing. We've had you know you ask Canadians up and down where do they want to see you know they want to see better environmental performance of our resource industry they're all going to say yes conservative liberal etc and so i th i think it's it's important that it's it's us who are demanding that performance of our industry and saying you know what we don't want to be part of making this global problem worse um and it's our trading partners who are asking it of us whether it's the european union the us etc who are looking to us for better performance so that's something we have to uh, respond to. And I think that was the other piece that, that David talked about, talked about our relationship with the US. And I think we need to, to some degree, get out of the way we used to think about the US in, you know, the early 2000s, where they were importing tens of millions of barrels a day of, of crude oil, and they were desperately dependent on those oil exporters, in particular Canada, and the expansion of Canadian production. Today, the U.S. is pretty darn close to a net crude oil exporter, a million and a half barrels a day of net imports. Um, and, or when they cut, uh, sorry, net imports out, outside of North America. And so they, we are as dependent on them as they are on us. They take almost all of our crude and, you know, a lot of that gets turned around as petroleum product exports, as crude oil exports. It's not the same energy security play that it was 
um, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah, Dr. Leach, I'll acknowledge you're a, a professor of economics and law, but I also know you can hold your own talking political science. Uh, you just noted that three straight federal elections uh, have, have essentially, you, you might say, publicly litigated on carbon pricing, and you would be correct, but... Would you agree with me that it's probably not looking like it could be four straight games? It's not going to be a sweep. I mean, I think right now, even the liberals themselves are a little tied up on the carbon tax and, and the future of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the liberals, right? I mean, part of what you're seeing right now is that carbon pricing is a policy that, you know, stays in place over a long period of time, has an impact over a long period of time. And the, the liberals have got themselves caught on the sort of what have you done for me lately storyline to say, well, now we need to do this new target and this new policy and this push on this sector and that sector. And they've got themselves to fighting, you know, wars on 100 different fronts regarding different climate policies. And there, there just isn't enough, um, you know, sort of political energy to, to focus on one of those policies and and keep it in in keep it front and center. So you know you're you're definitely right. The the carbon price has seen some challenges. We'll see what happens uh, from the conservatives. We haven't seen a solid platform from them. Right. We're seeing statements like we're going to rely on technology. We'll ask anyone that's deploying clean tech right now in Canada. We saw it a couple of weeks ago with the big um, announcement here in in the industrial heartland. What is driving those investments? It's the ability to monetize emissions reductions. It's the ability to sell credits. And you can only sell credits if somebody else is willing to buy them because otherwise they're going to pay a carbon price. And so I think on the industrial side, you know, you're still going to see Pierre Polyev and the conservatives realize that, no, you know what? We don't want to be in the business of picking individual technological winners and losers we're kind of market focused. We want to let the market sort that out. So I expect you'll see some kind of carbon price. Perhaps they're going to decide that, you know, the focus should be on big industrial emitters in Alberta and Saskatchewan, as opposed to on vehicles in Ontario and Quebec. Maybe that's more politically expedient for them. But, uh, but I think you'll still see that push of some form of carbon pricing there. Can you, uh, you know, you, you, you know very well that this holiday season at some tables, as, as much as, you know, family members try to dissuade their loved ones from talking politics and talking industry, somebody's going to make a snide comment about Justin Trudeau and then somebody else is going to make a snide comment about Danielle Smith and then the whole family dinner table is going to be arguing over the future of humanity on planet Earth and the future of employment in the province of Alberta. And there's going to be dinner buns being thrown at each other. And, and you've written a book to help us sort this out. So, so here's the holiday assignment. Between doom and denial, where should the family members sitting around that dinner table focus their conversation? Where can we meet in the middle and achieve a productive end result? So we talk about, you know, Canada is a cold country, so this isn't going to affect us. Well, start thinking about what that means for people further north. Start talking about things like wildfires. You know, one of the, the neat examples I use in the book is the northward migration of poisonous snakes. And so, we you know, we like the idea that the poisonous snakes are kind of down there in Lethbridge and, and they get to stay down there. But the warmer things get and the drier things get. Um, you know, we're going to see some of that move north. And, and of course, right now you see the, the you know, you don't have to go very far in Alberta to see what the spring is likely going to look like for our farmers, right? It's going to be incredibly dry drought conditions unless uh, something changes dramatically. So I think bringing that, you know, it's not just about, you know, would you like temperatures to be a degree warmer? It's, you know, would you like all of the other stuff that comes with it? 
Or, you know, the world's always going to use oil is another one I take on. Okay, great. The world's always going to use oil. Is that really fundamentally what we're betting on in the province? Or are we betting on the world using more oil year after year after year after year? And is that actually realistic? Perhaps. But are you happy with the fact that that translates directly to a bet on the world not acting on climate change? And again, people might be happy with that. But I want them to, to sort of spell it out. And I have a, a few others. I have four others in the book. Um, and so I, I have framed it as a little bit of a climate change uh, cocktail party survival guide that it yeah. lets you, uh, you know, yeah, but what about this on some of those easy sound bites that we tend to use? I like it. Where can people buy your book? Uh, local, any bookstore, they can buy it directly from Sutherland House. I think it's still on sale from my publisher right now. So I, I won't uh, say what that means. Uh, you notice we've got the Real Talk RJ colors pretty strong. I like on it. The cover as well. It, it looks so, very uh, good against Ken our White, background. I don't know if he's a listener, but uh, maybe that was part of the, the inspiration <laughs> for the cover design. Well, I'd like to think that everybody's a listener at some point. Uh, we'll put the link in the show notes uh, on the podcast and on YouTube for people to buy your book. I know that there's obviously going to be huge interest in that. Uh, before we go, if you wouldn't mind, we, we love fact checks on the show. We love people that can cut through spin. And for our Alberta-based audience, here's one. You're, you're talking about uh, spin from Alberta Finance or from the provincial government here relating to the fuel tax. This is coming up on January 1st. Let's call it ish two weeks from now. Uh, what do people need to keep in mind as they're filling up their gas guzzlers at the pump? The right decision for the Alberta government. They gave a tax holiday uh, because of the oil price shock that came about after the Russia invasion of, of Ukraine. And then they set a formula that said when oil prices come back down and the affordability crunch goes away and the government revenues a little bit uh, little bit less, um, less high than it would otherwise be, okay, we're going to come back in with a gas tax, we're gonna have a little bit of a shock absorber type relationship. And I thought that was the right the right move for the government to make. And I'm, you know, I'm not often in the in the business of, of uh, crediting either Premier Kenny or, or Premier Smith for their decisions. But this one, I thought was the right one. It was just amazing to me that I, you know, you, you pull out the press release, and it's like, wow, look at us saving you money as they're doing what uh, Trevor Toome con uh, confirmed was the largest nominal increase in gas taxes that we've ever seen in Alberta from December 31st to, to January 1st. I think maybe we could have used a little bit more of that lens that they apply to other policies to say, you know what, this is going to have an effect on people across the spectrum, bigger effects on higher income, higher use people. But there are certainly some groups of people in Alberta for whom this is going to be a significant change in affordability that comes in on, on January 1st. So it might have been nice to see a little bit more recognition of that, uh, despite, as I said, the fact that I think it's the right policy move for the province. Do you know what Super Chat is, Andrew? I don't. Super Chat is when people are in our live chat on YouTube and they can go above and beyond and they can actually donate a specified dollar amount of their choice to the show. Uh, and YouTube essentially pays us out once a month. And it's people's way of, of doing their part to support the show and say thank you. And Ken has just shot us five bucks on the Super Chat. He says some people would love to go for lunch with Wayne Gretzky or Taylor Swift. I would like to go for lunch with Andrew Leach and Trevor Toom. He says, thank you for bringing guests on like Andrew. So Tony, Tony sees what Ken's done and, and she has shot us $5.01 to one-up Ken. And she says, I would also love to have lunch with Trevor and Andrew. Great discussions the last couple of shows. So we've got 10 bucks in our coffers now dedicated or committed 
to lunch availability with you and Trevor Toom. And, I, I like it. And I like you've just glossed right over the Wayne Gretzky part as well, which is th- th- that's yeah. an OG move, pal. That's very nicely done. <laughs> hey, uh, happy holidays to you. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Thanks for doing this. Same. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, you bet. You can find Andrew Leach's new book, Between Doom and Denial, Facing Facts About Climate Change. I love that. By the way, just a mention, I know we're talking a lot about the Super Chat, but Real Talkers, you're forcing our hand here. Your generosity abounds today. That was Tony's. YouTube's letting us know that was her fifth contribution mm-hmm. on yeah. the Super Chat. That's fantastic. Yeah. We sure appreciate that, Tony. Thanks very much. Um, we will be saying thank you to our Real Talk patrons. You know, if you support us on Patreon, uh, you can learn more by going to ryanjesperson.com and just clicking on Connect. Uh, if you'd like to make a, a monthly contribution to the show and then we let you know through the year what that goes to. It's helped us install new lights. It's helped us uh, bring in a new camera. Uh, a lot of times it helps us support the journalism of other independents. Uh, we, we, I can think of journalists we've talked to in, in Ukraine. We've been able to support them. Thanks to your support on Patreon. This Friday, there will not be a regular episode of Real Talk. On the 22nd, it is our annual Real Talk holiday patrons party. Uh, And if you are a Real Talk Patreon supporter, it's not too late to sign up for that. Uh, Check your inbox uh, on Thursday and you'll receive that Zoom link. Friday morning, we're all going to hang out. We're going to do a QA. and a um, You're going to meet a couple people behind the scenes. We have some special guests. We're going to do some giveaways. We have some prizes. Uh, it's going to be a whole lot of fun. Johnny's going to wear his pajamas, I think, for that uh, special episode. <laughs> you wish. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> well, I'm just saying that the, the, the table has been set. There is permission granted if you feel like maybe just rolling in how you woke up. Okay. Okay, pal. Every Wednesday, our friends at Tourism Jasper take us out to the mountains. And this is a beautiful time of year to make my Jasper memories. Uh, The number one focus right now for us this week is on holiday meals in Jasper. Now, Jasper's always been a great place to fuel up on Rocky Mountain cuisine. But during the holidays, it gets even more special. From December 24th through the 26th, so that Christmas trio the the trio of very special days the 24th 25th 26th tara is going to be offering a festive butcher board uh hearthstone restaurants also got a wonderful plated three-course meal now both restaurants have a strong focus on using local ingredients in really inventive new ways so that's tara and hearthstone restaurant or you can also scoot out of town for a meal with a view, Alto Restaurant is located just a 10-minute drive out of town at Pyramid Lake Lodge. We stayed there last spring, absolutely loved it. And Alto is the, the new restaurant out there. It's a Nordic-inspired aesthetic, and they've got gourmet seafood. As the name suggests, you'll be looking out over Pyramid Lake. Pyramid Mountain will take your breath away while you enjoy the holiday-plated menu that's available from Christmas Eve through till Boxing Day. If you head out of town the other way, you'll discover the obviously famous and iconic Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge with multiple restaurants on site and stunning views over Lac Beauvert. Uh, you'll be able to find something tasty at the Nook Steakhouse and, of course, the festive brunch that they offer on the 24th, the 25th, the 31st, and New Year's Day, January 1st. Festive dinner buffets will be held in the Beauvert Ballroom on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. There is no more magical place to celebrate the holiday season than in Jasper. You can find out more about the delicious culinary adventures by visiting jasper.travel slash January. We'll have that in the show notes for you. And just a reminder as well, into the new year, the Jasper in January Festival runs from January 12th 
to the 28th, you can check out jasper.travel slash January, and I will see you out there. Can't wait to strap on the snowboard. Mm-hmm. Get back out to Marmot Basin. Absolutely mm-hmm. fabulous place to be. Loved our roundtable yesterday with Heather Thompson, Punita McBrien, and Corey Wozniak. And we talked about, it was our trend watch episode. We talked about uh, what jobs and retail and what commercial real estate, you know, vacancies, downtown office vacancies, restaurants are going to look like heading into 2024. Uh, Some really great observations from three of the smartest people that I know. I encourage you to check out that episode uh, that was our December 19th episode called Trend Watch. Uh, Heather Thompson from the uh, Center for Cities and Communities at the U of A School of Business started talking about trends like, you know, will this be, will 2024 be the year of the return to the office? And what will employers be offering essentially is, as incentives as carrots as opposed to whips, carrots to get their employees back into work. And so we asked you, given the choice, would you work 100% from home, 100% at the office, or some sort of split? I I tweeted that out from my personal account at Ryan Jesperson. We got a ton of feedback on this. I don't know if you were paying attention to it. Uh, Doug said that splits are nice, says working from home all the time is really distracting, but my dishes are always clean. I said to Doug, yeah, my laundry's never been more dialed in. Uh, Duena says uh, loves the split. Interacting with people is the big thing. Aggie says 100% at home is her personal choice, says my boss is located in the States and there's no real collaboration happening when she goes into the office unless uh, collaboration with my Spotify playlist is a thing, says my boss wouldn't care, but HR won't entertain the notion. Lori is 100% dialed in at home. I said, well, I said, what's the main benefit for you at home? I said, is it your free time? Is it no commute? Lori says, yeah, it's all of that, plus less people, so it's way safer for maintaining COVID and flu mitigations. Lori put something on my radar I hadn't thought of. Said, we have two immune compromised kids Mm. who can't afford to get sick. I thought Mm -hmm. that's a whole other thing Mm -hmm. that I hadn't thought of before. So I appreciate Lori chiming in. Uh, Jeff Tatz, who does a lot of work inspiring entrepreneurs in downtown Edmonton, love when Jeff engages, says the latest data that he's been taking a look at suggests things have stabilized and should remain consistent through 2024. He says, I'm excited to hear what Heather has to say. He's going to be checking out the episode. Uh, Madam Reporter says, I've been working at home since the pandemic, not commuting from Sylvan Lake to downtown Calgary twice a week has been very enjoyable. Think of the savings on fuel alone. Driving from Sylvan Lake to Calgary and back twice a week, that's got to be at least a full tank of gas. It's a nice drive, though. It's a great drive. It's great to be alone. I like listening to podcasts on long I don't mind long Uh, drives. You know, I hate to be the guy who's like, be the guy, John. Be the guy. A technical producer for multiple podcasts. Are you about to tell our audience that you don't listen to podcasts? I mean, I do, but I skim through. I, I don't. Like when I get in the car and we go for a drive for two hours, if we go down to Calgary, if we go up somewhere else, if we drive over to BC, you know, my wife always wants to listen to these like murder podcasts and true all crime, man. It's one of the biggest. I can't. I don't like it. I would. I, I just want to listen to music or have it off and just be with my thoughts. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's because I'm on a podcast every day and I just that might be it. Yeah. It's like they say that like the cobblers, what do they say? The cobblers kids have mm-hmm. those shoes. And we were uh, talk- you talk to chefs when they come home and they make like craft dinner when they get home. And we were talking about this yesterday. We don't overproduce our show. Like we do a little, little fine tuning at the end, but the, the show's like these murder products, they're so overproduced. Like the voices are like, right. And he was upstairs. And then he was they have the, the sound and effects. It's just, there's so much compression and it just, I don't know. It, it doesn't sound like a real person's voice to me. And 
I don't know, every little hisp and whisper when you can hear it like that, it's just so much compression. You know a pro tip that I've heard from a lot of people that, that want to listen to as much as they can on a podcast or they want to get through it and they don't have as much time? Mm. They listen to it at the one and a half speed. So it just speeds up like <laughs> oh, yeah. one and a half speed. You can get through real talk in like 30 minutes. So he came in the house and so he, he came in the house and he told and me he that the ethical oil was not a thing. In the, fridge. <laughs> the Alberta oil sands are not. <laughs> Mark Horseman said, I will never offer up an hour and a half of unpaid time to any employer without significant compensation. And I replied to Mark and I said, you figure an employer should be paying for your commute. And he said, listen, if I'm expected in an office, I expect appropriate compensation. I wouldn't make the drive billable hours, but there should be a recognition that I'm losing a significant portion of my life to a useless commute, mm. which is interesting. You wonder who holds the hammer here. Like, who has the influence? Is it the employer or is it the employee? Mm -hmm. Like, if unemployment's at 10% and everybody's, like, hungry for work and trying to find a job, I don't know that you go in with, with all the leverage and you say, I expect to be paid more if I have to be in the office. Yeah. But if employers are having a hard time finding skilled workers, yeah. uh, then maybe you're it's in a position where you've got more leverage than ever before. Maybe you say, uh, I want 95 grand. They say, we'll give you 78. And you say, I want four weeks vacation. They say, mm -hmm. we'll give you two. Then you say, well, then I'm working from home. Yeah. And I think now with the stress of money in families, a lot of people are sharing vehicles. A lot of people are taking the bus. A lot of people don't want to waste money on gas. You could say an incentive, well, why don't you give me a car? <laughs> why don't you give me a company vehicle? You're setting, are you going to be an agent now for people? <laughs> yeah. Johnny Infamous got me a 10% raise and a car! And a company Tesla. Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, we had a tough conversation earlier this week on the fate of Jaskaret Singh Sadhu. He's the man that caused the horrific crash, one of the worst in Canadian history, uh, that claimed the lives of 16 people, members of the Humboldt Broncos uh, Hockey Club, uh, injuring 13 more and when we say injuring like horrific life-changing injuries right a forever altering uh, at least uh, the 29 lives on board that bus but also of course hundreds more when you consider family and friends and the Im impact that it had on Canada uh, Mr. Singh Sidhu of course uh, pleaded guilty uh, he was sentenced to eight years which was the stiffest sentence ever handed down for a dangerous driving uh, causing injury or bodily harm uh, death or bodily harm, and uh, did not appeal that sentence. Now, uh, Canada Border Services Agency has recommended that he be deported. And we've asked you, uh, by way of an unscientific, unofficial Twitter poll, what you think should happen. We left it open for 24 hours after our Monday episode with Charles Adler. Uh, 2,936 of you voted, and 84.5% of you, 84% of you uh, said that you would let him stay. In Canada, he does have a wife and a child in Canada, for what it's worth. Uh, he can uh, stay on compassionate grounds if the decision makers make it so. Fifteen and a half percent of you said, yes, deport him. An 84 percent response is an overwhelming majority when it comes to polling. Now, as we said, this is an unscientific, unofficial Twitter poll. Uh, Pax said he owned up to what he did. He pleaded guilty. He served his sentence. Uh, he is only a symptom of a bigger problem with the lack of training and enforcement in the trucking industry. The good people of Humboldt need not have suffered this tragedy, but it is not strictly on his shoulders. Allison says, wow, this poll is showing that the loudest voices aren't necessarily the majority. Sleepy Dad simply says, deport him. Nasi says he fucked up, did not intend to. He did his time. Let him stay. 
Gibbonite says he has shown how much character he has by his actions after the accident. Let him stay. Glenn accuses me of rage farming by asking the question. Mike says, correct me if I'm wrong, but someone with his immigration status, he was a permanent resident who serves more than X amount of time is automatically deported upon release. It's nothing personal. It's not vengeance. Why give him a special accommodation to avoid that? Why have any immigration rules? The idea around, now I'm not a lawyer, obviously, but the idea around deportation is to remove somebody that is, has proven themselves to be a danger to Canadians. Uh, now, if you support deporting this man, you would say, well, what's more dangerous than uh, driving in a manner that kills 16 people and ruins the lives of hundreds of others? And you could make a compelling point. Uh, you could also argue what I did on Monday, which is that this was not a stabbing spree. This was not a shooting spree. He was not drunk or high behind the wheel. This was, in fact, uh, a, a horrific, a horrific situation but one where there was absolutely no malice or intent. And so on compassionate grounds, my vote would be to allow him to stay. Eve says that uh, Mr. Singh-Sidhu should not be blamed for inadequate provincial training standards. Raymond Lapierre says, I drove a bus for 17 years. I always worried about an accident. If I would have been in one, would I have been deported back to France? Raymond says, come on. Unfortunately, accidents do happen, and this guy has paid the price. Deb says this was a horrific accident that I'm sure will haunt that man until the day he dies. Had it been intentional, then yes, deport him, but it was not. And Brad says society has to make things like positive behavior before and after a situation count. And if it's proven that somebody took a situation that was wrong and made it as right as they possibly could, or what could be asked of them? You know, th that should count for something, says Brad. Jay says there's a bigger issue than whether or not he's received proper punishment. Deportation will send a strong message to all drivers, especially immigrant professional truckers, to be much more careful when operating a vehicle. There must be adequate consequences. That from Jay. We did receive an email from Brandon that knocked my socks off. And I've never received an email quite like this to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Brace yourselves. He says, on your Monday episode with Charles Adler, you had a segment on criminal justice and the driver involved in that Humboldt bus crash. And you talked about how there are certain people that you just lock up forever. Uh, after talking about the spree of sex offenders that are arrested the day after they were released. I, I did note that incident in Edmonton just a short time ago. You know, where police warn everybody that this, you know, this serial sex offender is going to offend again. And they're warning the public as this person is released. I'm not putting it on the cops. I'm putting it on the courts. And more importantly, I'm putting it on the lawmakers and the politicians. Brandon says, well, I have a personal attachment to the failure of the justice system. Brandon says, I have a family member who is not only a serial sex offender, but a serial sex killer who is accused of murdering more than 12 women in Alberta, though he's been convicted of only one. And I think I know exactly who he's talking about. He says they were classified as a dangerous offender, ineligible for parole for life, or so we thought. To describe what they did to the woman whose death they were found guilty of, they tied her up nude with landline phone wire. They bent her lifeless body like a pretzel, and they crammed her into a hockey bag before transporting her to my house, says Brandon. 
where she was found by my family when we opened the bag. I believe he's talking about Thomas Svekla. He says because of that, they were also found guilty of committing an indignity to a dead body. They've been bouncing around from maximum security prison to maximum security prison across Western Canada as they assault and sexually assault other inmates ever since. If there was ever anyone, says Brandon, that you could deem unreformable and lock them up forever, it would be my relative. And yet to my shock, he will appear in front of the parole board next month for release. My family is notified every time he leaves the prison walls, and now with his chance for imminent release, I fear for my family's lives. They are definitely not rehabilitated and never will be. People like my own family member are reasons that I support the death penalty, and I'm not even a victim yet. Brandon says, thank you for honest talk. I sincerely hope we can solve our criminal justice program i read that email like three times when we received it i responded to brandon to verify a couple of details i appreciate him putting it all out there and giving us permission to read this on the show it reiterated to me that we never know who's listening we never know who has informed perspectives lived experience on the very real issues that we're talking about now, you may say, what does Robert Svekla have to do with Jaskarat Singh Sadhu? And the answer really is nothing, except for when we're talking about Canada's justice system and second chances and public safety, these are the types of areas where we have to go if the conversation is to have any meaning. And I'm grateful for audience members like Brandon who take the time and show the courage, quite frankly, to email us to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Of course, you know that you can do the same thing. We'll get to your emails tomorrow. It's going to be a great episode of Real Talk. But before we break for that, I want to put a couple of things on your radar. Number one, the Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic. Have you registered yet to participate? We've got room for 24 teams of four to six skaters. It goes Saturday, February 3rd at Larry Alexiak Field in beautiful St. Albert. We're going to have the rinks poured. The ice is fantastic. We're, as far as I know, one of the only pond hockey tournaments in Alberta with a Zamboni out there. There's beers, there's burgers, there's bonfires. We'll hear from the mayor. Of course, we'll sing that national anthem, and then we'll drop the puck. Johnny Infamous spinning tunes the whole time, all in support of Kids Sport St. Albert, removing financial barriers to sport for kids. And Uncles and Aunts at Large, which is a program that we're really proud to get behind. We're also looking for volunteers. And of course, we could use more sponsors. You can get in touch with us by checking out ryanjesperson.com, clicking on the events link. We'll have that in the show notes. It's the annual Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic, our third annual, in fact, in support of Kids Sport and Uncles and Aunts at Large in partnership with our wonderful friends at the Canadian Progress Club, the St. Albert Chapter. That's Saturday, February 3rd. If you've not yet figured out your plan for the holiday season and you're hosting friends and family for a meal, I want to make sure that Friesen Brothers is on your radar. I don't have to tell you. If you listen to the show on a regular basis, you know that they've got a team of talented Red Seal chefs, right? Well, they're presenting their annual Christmas dinner box, but here's the deal, and they've been updating us day to day. They're almost sold out 
Okay, Christmas is coming, and this is the Ukrainian-inspired Christmas dinner box from Catering by Friesen Brothers. You can order it ahead of time online or in-store, a chef-prepared Christmas catering box that feeds up to four people. So if you need more, you just order more catering boxes, right? Roasted turkey, cranberry sauce, gravy, tray buns, pierogies with sour cream, bacon bits, green onion, carrots, and a creamy dill sauce, which I guarantee will blow your freaking mind. The best part about it is all the work is done for you. So you're hanging out with your family and friends dinner's in the oven you're not having to tend to it you don't have to carve the bird you certainly don't have to what do you do with pierogies you don't roll them do you fold them what's the word do you fold pierogies (laughs) i believe you glue them together yeah john and i promise we won't have anything to do with your pierogies i haven't made them why not order yours today at cateringbyfreezen.com at kubi renewable energy they want to let you know that if 2024 is going to be a year of new opportunity for you you're looking for a new job and you're located or willing to locate to edmonton calgary lethbridge or kamloops Kubi Energy is hiring. You can check out the careers link at kubienergy.ca. And they're looking for a bunch of different folks. I mean, of course, they're always looking for electricians, right? But they're also looking for project managers, technologists, professional engineers, administrative professionals, sales professionals, and more. You can help grow clean energy in Canada, take advantage of mentorship opportunities, and of course, limitless snacks, and even well-deserved office beers on Fridays. Kubi is where expertise meets opportunity. Embrace the future of clean energy. Get your application in today by following the careers link at kubienergy.ca. And we want to give a shout out to our friends at Complete Care Restoration. We've been so proud. The the minute that we learned of their certification, uh, this is the only disaster restoration company in the province of Alberta that is BMO certified when it comes to their climate footprint. These are climate champions at Complete Care Restoration. You know they're recycling an average of 71% of materials that they're pulling out of burn or flood sites. Can you imagine the amount of junk, the amount of burned out wood and drywall and insulation and plastic and flooring and everything else that's been going into landfills for decades? Well, most restoration companies are continuing to do that, but not Complete Care. They're recycling an average of 71% and keeping those materials out of landfills. Just another reason why we're so proud here on Real Talk to partner with Complete Care Restoration. So you know the drill. Coming up on Friday, there will not be a regular episode of Real Talk. That is our Real Talk annual patron holiday party. Check your emails if you are a Real Talk Patreon supporter. We can't wait to spend our Friday morning with you. It means that tomorrow's episode, that's Thursday's episode, that's the 21st of December, winter solstice, my parents' wedding anniversary is going to be a group chat roundtable. The return of Catherine O'Neill, Jenny Adams, and Edmonton City Councilor Sarah Hamilton. We'll take a look at the year in news. I'm sure we'll get a few scoops from behind the scenes and of course we'll be wishing everybody well heading into the holidays we hope you'll join us real talk is hosted by ryan jesperson executive producer josh dunford technical producer john hicks general manager katie cook chivers account coordinator lawrence durlego human resources lena shepherd Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, 
Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.